Have you guys seen the movie? Man, you should. If you haven't seen it, you should go and see it. It's, uh, it's a, I was going to say it's a cute movie. I'm not sure that's the word for the day, but, but it is a, a cute movie. It's, the, uh, it's about the birth of Jesus, but it's told from the perspective of the animals. And uh, so if you haven't seen it today, if uh, you're a first-time guest or we just haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jimmy, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. And uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's good to say that, isn't it? Uh, I'm excited about our Christmas services next Sunday. Donnie mentioned them earlier in the welcome, but uh, I, I am excited. Our, our service schedule is 8.30, so don't ask me. Don't, don't ask me after the service. Don't, don't email me this week or send me a Facebook message. But there's going to be one of two things in the services next week that will blow your mind, and uh, they're, they're going to be something. I, I hope you'll be here, but if you have family in town, bring them with you. Uh, invite your friends to come. And uh, it's going to be a great day. I heard something kind of funny this week, speaking of Christmas services. Uh, this grandmother was trying to get her family ready to go to church. And uh, he, he just said, Nana, I, I don't want to go to church on Christmas. And uh, Nanny said, well, honey, we, we've got to go to church on Christmas so we can say happy birthday to baby Jesus. And uh, the little boy said, but Nana, we don't even know him. <laughs> so... Uh, Maybe there's some folks in your family that don't know Jesus. You should bring them next week. You should bring them. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you haven't done it already, take out your, uh, your message notes. Those are inside of your worship bulletin. Uh, take out your connection card and your offering envelope because we're going to use all of those uh, in today's message. So we're in week number four of our Christmas series called Christmas Carols. Just raise a hand if you like this kind of series. I, I, I dig this sort of thing. Um, each week, we're, we're not preaching the Christmas carols, but each week we're looking at one of the, the favorite or most beloved Christmas carols to kind of see what the biblical meaning is behind the carol. And uh, our carol for today is Away in the Manger, which... Uh, the band played just a few minutes of the story behind Away in a Manger. Uh, who wrote it and when it was written is really not known. Uh, it was first produced in a Lutheran Sunday school curriculum in about 1885. How many of you, uh, just by show of hands, maybe grew up in a Lutheran church? You went to Lutheran Sunday school. Yeah, I knew, I knew we had some of you guys here this morning. Wrote it, but after more research, it was discovered that in fact Luther didn't write it. And the truth is, we really don't know who wrote Away in a Manger. But who wrote it is not as important as the fact that this hymn has become one of the most beloved Christmas carols or Christmas hymns of all time. Now, I want to remind you of the first verse of the song. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to, I don't sing. Um, some of you might say, well, you don't preach that good either, but uh, you haven't heard me sing. If you ever heard me sing, you'd be like, man, please preach another sermon. Uh, but I, I'm going to read just the first verse, and I want you to listen to it carefully because th there's just one little line here that we're going to focus on. It says, away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down on the The song was written originally for children, right? But if you're not careful, 
you can just hear it as a children's song only. You, you can get so caught up in the cute factor of it that you forget the most important line of that song, not just for kids, but for all of us. What's the line? The point of that song is that Jesus is Lord. From his birth until today, Jesus is Lord. And listen to me, listen. Recognizing Jesus as Lord is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Let me say it again. Recognizing Jesus as Lord is the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. I'm going to focus on uh, Ricky Bobby's eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus in golden fleece diapers or uh, even where he laid his sweet head. Instead, we're going to focus on the lordship of Jesus. Throughout the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus is referred to as Lord more than 740 times. So what does that tell us? Well, the most famous description of Jesus as Lord is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it, we're going to unpack it, and then we're going to talk about what it means when we say that Jesus is Lord. And remember, remember, you recognizing Jesus as Lord is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. By the way, my favorite story in the Bible. Love this story. So powerful. L listen closely because s some of you know the story. You had to memorize it maybe in Sunday school or if you went to a Christian school growing up, you had to memorize it. So some of you, you know it even better than I do. But the temptation is for you to think, oh, okay, I, I got that. I, I know what the message is. I'm just going to doodle on my message notes here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census was first taken, uh, or first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So I'm not going to stop some things as you go forward reading this story, not just this Christmas, but, but any Christmas. Luke is doing a couple of things in these verses. One of the things he's doing is he's dating the birth of Jesus. They didn't have a calendaring system back then the way we do now. So Luke couldn't say, uh, you know, on May the 4th, 6 B.C., Jesus was born. So the way you would date something is you would. And so to say that uh, Jesus was born back when um, Caesar Augustus was the emperor in Rome. And then to say Quirinius was still governing Syria, people would go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember when Caesar Augustus was the emperor, and uh, I remember those few years that Quirinius uh, was the governor in Syria. Okay. Caesar Augustus, his, th those are titles, Caesar and Augustus. His name was Octavian. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. If you remember back to your high school or your college world history class or maybe even some Shakespearean literature, Lord help us. Um, Octavian 
was a horrible human being. Like right in there with Hitler and Stalin. Horrible. I think we have a picture of him. Do we have one, Diego? I just want you to see what the guy looked like. This is a, a bust. If you look at a statue, by the way, I, just a little time out here. Some people, when they look at a bust like this, they think, wow, the eyes look weird. Like they, they put all this detail in it, but they gave him no eyes. That's because there would have been jewels in his eyes. But whoever found this first took a screwdriver and popped those. Well, not a screwdriver, but they took something and popped those jewels out and, uh, you know, went and pawned. Terrible person. And he sort of clawed his way to the top so to speak, and he destroyed anyone and everyone who ever got in his way, including a famous couple that, again, maybe you remember from world history class, um, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, a.k.a. Elizabeth Taylor, if you will. It's notoriously cruel. Under his leadership, there was a time of Pax Romana, Roman peace, but the peace was a dark peace because... By the time he was emperor and a few years after his, his reign, they had bludgeoned to death every enemy of Rome. And no one dared speak out against the Roman Empire. And he was just a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Caesar is a title like president or emperor. But Augustus was also a title, but it was a title that was reserved for the gods. It, it means holy and revered. And Caesar, Caesar Augustus was the first to ever use Octavian, the Caesar, and I am God. His birthday is on September 23rd. Now think about this. This is the whole reason I'm even telling you this. While Luke is writing these words out in his gospel, people in the Roman Empire, especially in the province of Asia Minor, first day of the new year, and they were referring to him and hailing him as Prince of Peace and Savior of the World. So Luke is not just throwing this out to give us a date and a time. He's giving us this as the background to talk about the birth of Jesus, the real Lord of Lords, Savior of the world, mighty God. So when you think about Caesar Augustus, in the secular world at that time, maybe even today, who knows, you could write a business book about this guy and how he clawed his way to the top. And in a way, it, it would make a good story like that. You know, if you leave all the bludgeoning people to death out. Um, but, but it's kind of a, a success status of God. But Luke is telling us a story about how God became a man. You see? It changes the way you hear it now, doesn't it? Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Um, 
bet means the house for their bread. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, this is King David, he was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, his fiancée, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which is the way he wraps a, a dead body in. Uh, among, these are poor people, very poor people. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I thought I'd let you see what a manger looks like today. Diego, do we have that? This, the, the big object in the center, that's a manger. Not a little wooden hay trough, but this is what a manger looked like. And it was for feeding large cattle about this wide. So I guess what? Three feet tall, maybe? And about, about that wide. And the trough in the center, again, so you could feed horses and cattle while they're lowing or, again, whatever that means. But that's what a manger is. Then the story changes gears just a little bit because we, we go from where the, the little Lord Jesus is to out in the shepherd's field. Because at night, that was a time when a shepherd really had to be on his guard. This, this is the third shift, guys. This is not the first shift or the second. This is the third watch, guys. And they were on the, the look for thieves or wild animals that would come and steal away their sheep or goats, whatever that they were herding. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone on them. Be afraid, for behold, or listen, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And that's not just something God said. That's something he did. These shepherds, when we think about them, we have this image that these are just sweet little guys walking around petting lambs all day. These are the, the cowboys. These are Wild West cowboys of their day. These are guys that cursed too much. They drank. They, they were at the bottom and they, they were on the outside of religion. And so God announcing to these men that there's good news that's for all people, he meant it. For there is born to you, not just the, the rich and powerful, but the poor and powerless. The people who are on the outside looking in. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. In verse 11, if you're taking notes, circle the word Lord. See, Jesus is more than just a cute little baby. Last night, we had Karen's family's Christmas up here at the church um, in our lobby. And uh, just had a great time. And we got to meet my niece. It's Karen's niece. And just through marriage, she's, she's my niece as well. We got to meet her, her new baby. Most babies are cute. Okay, I'll just say all babies are cute. But Jesus was more than just a cute baby. He is the living, breathing Savior of the world. Now, I'll bet you've heard that before, haven't you? E even if you only go to church at Christmas or maybe Easter, I'll bet you've heard before that Jesus is Lord. The question is, do you know what it means? Do you understand what it means to say that Jesus is Lord? And do you understand to say that Jesus is Lord, not just at Christmas, and not just occasionally, but in everyday life. I mean, 
When we talk about Jesus being Lord, what does it matter in your work life? What does it matter in how you spend your time? What does it matter in, um, in your financial life? What does it matter, you know, in, in your marriage or your dating life? What does it matter that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and here's why it matters? The word Lord in the New Testament is kurios. And here's what it means for those of you taking notes. Write this in. It means supreme in authority, controller, and Lord. Supreme in authority, controller, and Lord. Now, now, most of us would be a controller that gives us a little bit of pause. Am I right? Well, you know why that is, right? It's because we want to be in control. We want to be in control of our own lives. In fact, some of us want to be in control of everything. And our culture has a, a word for people like this. It's called control freaks. I saw a Facebook meme this week. I thought about her adult daughter. And the daughter was apparently cooking something. And the mother said, you know, it's just a little blurb above her head. Uh, she says, you know, I'm not a control freak, but can I show you the right way to do that? That's a control freak. Now, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a control freak. But practically all of us have some issues of control, don't we? Th th think about this in the context of away from it. You've sabotaged it because you have in your mind what Christmas ought to be like, what it ought to look like, what it ought to taste like, how everyone should act, what time everyone should arrive, which I don't think is a bad thing. But you've got in your mind exactly what Christmas should be like. Haven't you guys seen the documentary movie? I mean, that's Clark Griswold's problem, isn't it? He, all he wanted for Christmas was a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas vacation. And in his mind, he had this picture of what it would look like to have all the friends and the family, everybody in for Christmas. And he knew what it should look like and what it should sound like and taste like and, and all of that. Perfectionism usually just means you having everything the way you want it. that's just not how life works because the fact is that you're not in control and if Jesus is Lord if he's the controller then you can't always be in control and Jesus can't be Lord of your life he's in control of your life you or Jesus there are two questions you have to ask to determine if your life is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ or not here they are. This is where we're going to spend just the next few minutes. If you're taking notes, write these down. Here's question number one. You start by asking yourself, have I accepted, have I accepted God's gift, his free gift of salvation? Now, now listen, some of you have been a Christian as long as I have. Or you grew up going to church. Like I grew up going to a Baptist church. Maybe you grew up going to a Catholic church. Uh, my grandpa was a Southern Baptist pastor. He was my pastor until I was probably 20. 
but none of those things make me a Christian. And just because you grew up in a Baptist church, and you grew up going to a, a Catholic church, and you've been to Mass, that says I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. I, I don't have to listen into this. No, I want you to take just a moment or two to think about this. Have you accepted the free gift of salvation by asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Now, some of you might be asking, well, Jimmy, what do I need to be saved from? And that's a great question. The Bible says that we need to be saved from the consequences of our sins. See, sin, essentially, if you blow it right there, you are the Lord of your life. It's having this attitude of, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I'm the manager of my life. And the Bible says that sin. And if that's where you are today, listen, that's a dangerous place because that sin separates you from truly living out God's purpose and plan for your life. And even more tragically, it keeps you out of heaven. This is a sobering question. Have you accepted God's gift of salvation? Jesus came to help us overcome how does one become a Christian? How does one accept God's free gift of salvation? Well, look at Romans 10, 9 and 10 with me. The Apostle Paul says here, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you, that you have been saved. There are two things that you need to see here. First, in order to allow Jesus to be your Savior, you have to believe in your heart that he is the Savior. That he, he was born God into human beings. That he stepped into a, a virgin's belly. That he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross, and that God raised him again from the dead. Do you believe? That's, that's the first part. And here's the second part. You have to openly declare that Jesus is Lord. And don't miss this. Jesus is not your Savior if you don't acknowledge him as the Lord of your life. You can't just embrace Jesus as your Savior but then not follow him as Lord. In other words, you can't just take the salvation and then you keep control of your life. You can't say, God, thank you. I'm going to take the salvation. Missing the point. Salvation leads to a changed life. And a changed life is the evidence of salvation. This is an important question that some of you need to wrestle with this morning. If Jesus isn't changing your life, if he's not impacting your life, do I really know him? Do I really believe in him? Am I really saved? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. These are really sobering words. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one, what's that day? That day is judgment day. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Have you accepted this gift and allowed Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? If so, then how is it changing ministering? Are you sure that you are a follower of Jesus? And then here's big question number two. Have I surrendered every area of my life to God? Have I surrendered every area of my life to God? See, once you become a follower of Jesus, once you've accepted God's free gift of salvation, then you have to make sure that you're surrendering every area of your life. And quite frankly, this is where most of us mess up. We call ourselves Christians, but then we don't live like it. We don't live like we've surrendered every area of our lives to the Lord. We keep fighting to maintain and keep control of some areas of our lives. Talk like Jesus. We don't try to model our lives after Jesus. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? That's a pretty heavy verse, isn't it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things I say? Jesus is saying, don't call me Lord if you're not going to live like it. Show me you're my follower. So here's what I'd like for you to do right now. I want you to examine your life. Now nobody's making eye contact with me. Everybody's looking down at the floor like, oh no, is he going to have a stand up and talk about what our great areas of struggle are? No. <laughs> but I want you to include some areas for you to think about. So just go through that list, and, and if there's one or two or maybe even all of them, just, just circle the ones where you're struggling. And if you don't see your struggle represented there, then just write it down. And these are your notes. You're going to keep these. You don't have to turn these in. But I want you to be honest about the areas where you're struggling. Be honest with God about it. Be honest with yourself about it. And then once you've done that, I want you to look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 with me. So that you can maintain control. It says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Seek the Lord. What does he want you to do? Do that. Before we wrap up this morning, I, I want to sort of get technical with you. Tech I mean, that's a way of talking about it. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? But, but really, that's, that's not the issue. We don't make Jesus Lord of our life or anything else. He's already Lord, whether you believe it or not. 
Whether you like it or not, Jesus is Lord. So you don't make Jesus Lord. What you simply do is surrender to what already is. You surrender your life again to the Lord. That, that doesn't mean that every morning you, you wake up and you become a Christian again. But you and I give control to the one who is already control, in control every single day. Look at this last verse with me for today. It's uh, Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, on the cross, he died for our sins. So following Jesus is not the easiest path. Because it means that you're going to have to make some sacrifices. It means that I have to give up things in my life. Go back in your notes and circle the word daily. This means that every day you have to give up your Gosh, I just forgot his, his name. Frank Sinatra. Gosh, I'm glad my mom's not here. Uh, Frank Sinatra, he had the song, It's My Way. Elvis sang it too. Bon Jovi has their version, It's My Life. When you become a follower of Jesus, it's no longer your life. When you're a follower of Jesus, you wake up every day and say, Lord, every day you have to decide to follow Jesus. Every morning you wake up and say something like, okay, Lord, you're the leader. I'm following you. I want your will to be done in my life. It's a hard prayer to pray. But if you mean it and you'll live that way, listen, it will radically change your life. It'll change you. For just a moment, I want to ask you to to shut out everyone else around you. And as we close, I want to ask you to say a simple prayer in your own heart to God. And I'm going to say a, a seeker's prayer. And if you've never opened up your life to Jesus and you've never received his gift to you, then why don't you pray this what you mean in your heart? Just say something like this. Dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. I knew something was missing in my life, and I just didn't know it was you. So thank you for searching for me. Thank you for coming for me. For unto you is born this day. Thank you for looking for me when I ignored you. And today I recognize the gift that you sent at Christmas, that Jesus Christ, you are God. And today, Jesus, I want to accept you into my life, and I want to accept your free gift of forgiveness for all the things I've done wrong. And I surrender. I'm committing myself today to following you. I know I can't be perfect. But I'm going to follow after you. And I pray that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. To give me the strength and the courage to wake up every morning and say, Lord, today I'm going to live my life for you. In fact, ask him to live through your life. And lead me and guide me. 
in your great name that we pray.